1: With John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products.
1: In the NBA, the game can change in an instant. But no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant up. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets For betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com/sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com/slash-basketball-terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at the Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody! It is Phoenix Suns Day here at Hoops Tonight. We have Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns coming on to talk all things. Phoenix Suns. And we have no place that we could start other than the catastrophe of a call that we had at the end of the game on Tuesday. So what I want to do here, Brendan, to keep this fun cuz I I like I prefer to talk basketball. And honestly, my biggest takeaway from that call was that it ruined what was a very good basketball game. And and that to me is what we're going to spend the vast majority of the show talking about. But obviously we have to talk about it. So I want to do it debate style. So here's the deal. Brendan, I'm gonna kick it to you, and I want to give me. I want you to give me your take on the bad call, and then I'll give you mine, and then we're gonna move the hell on. Does that sound like a plan? <laughs> that, that sounds great. I mean, look, the timeout doesn't
2: go through. The league does not defend the last two minute report. Defend the call in the last two minute report if LeBron James is not the one calling that timeout. That <laughs> that that's my that's my number one observation from anything that happened. If it's Cam Reddish going like this in all the screenshots that are going viral. Maybe they get it in real time. Maybe it's turned over right away. Maybe the next day, the last two-minute report says Cam Reddish was going crazy. That's not a timeout. You're, you know, we made the mistake. Move on. Um, but it was LeBron James, so they get the timeout. They get the win, and now they're in the NBA Cup. I'm, I'm not doing scripted. I'm not doing conspiracy. But LeBron has some sway. That's all that I. That's all that I have for you. <laughs>
1: it was a bad call and like my thing is like as long as it's framed properly from the standpoint of like it was a very bad call that robbed the suns of an opportunity to potentially win the game or tie the game or send it to ot um i just don't agree with framing it as though that essentially robbed the suns of victory because th- we've seen this team play against the suns three times 15 minutes of clutch basketball. The Lakers have outscored them 41-25. to They've had a 128 offensive rating and an 81 defensive rating. And consistently down the stretch of those games, it's been LeBron attacking Nurkic downhill, getting great shots, and the Suns running around like chickens with their head cut off against Laker traps and rotating out of it and having a really hard time getting good shots. That said, I think it's really clear That they got robbed of their opportunity. I just, I just want it to be framed properly from the standpoint as like, it wasn't like the game swung on that play. It just, they, they lost a chance. And that's really unfortunate. And quite frankly, like, it all, it all happened so fast and it just, it just ruined what was a really good basketball game. And that's a bummer. But let's move on to the game in general. So, what were your takeaways just? from that Tuesday game and from this Lakers-Suns matchup in general, because in my opinion, there's a decent chance that these teams end up eventually facing each other in a seven-game series.
2: It was a tale of two halves, right? I mean, the Suns played, I think, their worst half of basketball of the season. You could say, considering the stakes, considering the opponent, considering that this is supposed to be something that they are learning from, you don't often get an opportunity really four times in the course of six weeks if you include the last preseason game, although you know, you can or you can't, to take on an opponent, and adjust. And I think that they've done some things that have adjusted well. They are using Nurkic more as a playmaker to get Anthony Davis out of the action. Durant seems to have a better feel for how to manipulate AD on his drives and his kind of pull-up game. But in that first half, you would have thought none of that was the case. They're dropping the ball everywhere. Booker does not look like the really highly efficient point guard that he's been all season. And the defense was just not really making an impact either. So then they figure it out in the second half. They play with better defensive intensity. I think you saw some some bench players make a better impact and they give themselves a chance. I'm of the opinion similar to what Kevin Durant said that the biggest problem with that late game call is they shouldn't have put themselves in that position. The Lakers shot worse from the field in the first half than the Suns did. They were not necessarily this sort of offensive machine, even though Reeves had a better game than he has. The Suns just coughed it away. And so I think you can take some good things away from that second half. But if they came in, had a hot start, got off to the start that they wanted to, they probably just win that game and feel better about themselves and everything else. Instead, coming off of a Toronto loss recently, some weird moments in a, in a game in New York. The message coming from Suns fans is, how, do, how does this team solve these big physical defensive teams and you know is is Booker just going to have this bugaboo all season where when that type of intensity comes his way you're going to have to have a plan b rather than the plan a of him being awesome that has carried them so often this season and and I think a lot of questions are flowing from Suns fans mouths after that game
1: yeah specifically with matchups like the Lakers and the Nuggets and then I'd also look at maybe a Minnesota Timberwolves type of team. Um, The Warriors are a team that can do some work on the offensive glass. We're going to talk more about this as an issue uh, when we talk more team wide, but the Lakers have grabbed 44% of their own misses in 15 clutch minutes against the Suns. And this was a huge problem in the Nugget series last year. It's one of those things where, you know, there are going to be teams at the top of the league like the Lakers, like the the Nuggets with uh, Contavious Cobble Pope and Aaron Gordon, uh, th- that it can just consistently throw quality big wing defenders at KD and Devin Booker and at least make them work hard. But then in the margins of the game, just bully everybody else on the floor. And and that that specifically is is the main thing in these matchups that I worry about. Like I like the Lakers have had no answer for Kevin Durant in the same way that the Suns have had no answer for LeBron James uh, on the offensive end of the floor in all three of these matchups. However, consistently they've been able to physically impact the game. And I think I think that's going to be the big you know, uh swing factor for the Suns in those two particular matchups, the Lakers and Nuggets matchups, is can they hold up physically? And I think that they're, you know, to, to Kevin Durant's credit, and I think I think I think all basketball fans could learn a lot from Kevin Durant's attitude coming out of that game, which is basically like when you go into a game like this, you might miss shots. And you might get some bad calls. Those are things that are outside of your control. You have to focus on the things you can control. And I really appreciated Kevin Durant's after that game, like, "Hey, I can't have five turnovers. I have to compete more on the defensive glass." Like, those are the things from the standpoint of answering those questions within the locker room. And, and I think that's that's the right approach. Now, as we zoom out and look at the big picture, I'm going to read some quick numbers to you. Suns are 12 and nine. Seventh in the Western Conference, they are ten and three against teams that are below five hundred. They are two and six against teams that are five hundred or better. Not entirely shocking, considering they've been without their top end talent. Like hundred, they've played one thousand and twenty three minutes of basketball. Devin Booker and Bradley Beal have combined to play just four hundred ninety nine. So that's obviously going to hurt you against top teams. Ninth in offense, eighteenth in defense, third in offensive rebounding, twenty sixth in defensive rebounding. So Brandon. Where are you at with this team through a quarter of the season? Where are Suns fans at with this team through a quarter of a season? What's the temperature of the room? Well, I think it's it's a good point in time to
2: talk, right? Because 20 game mark, that's usually when coaches and, and hopefully fans can be patient enough to wait that long. Where you really can judge a team holistically. Now, you can say that, but also obviously zero minutes for the big three of this team. The day that Beal is supposed to finally play with these, or that Booker comes back, Beal's been back, they're supposed to play together, Beal goes out, right? One of the big things that I think I will say before we get into the negatives is, (laughs) that's one stat, right? Like, no, zero, that's the stat. I'll give you another one that relates to personnel that actually maybe has gone under the radar. The Suns have played only 89 minutes with their preferred Beal-less starting lineup this year, which is Booker, Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Kevin Durant, Yusuf Nurkic. That lineup has a 133 offensive rating and a 109 defensive rating, but it's only played 89 minutes. So even if you uh, just realize, okay, back disc, that's serious. If we knew that and we're able to factor it into the analysis of this team, maybe we would have felt different. Take Beal out of the equation. That's a plus 24 net rating for the best lineup, even without Beal. And that's a pretty damn good team. So Mm -hmm. 12 and nine isn't necessarily representative of that because they've had injuries, they've had absences. Now, okay, that that's not going to matter in April. So I think where Suns fans are right now is maybe just kind of losing patience with all of those ifs, ands, and buts. Um, I think that there's a little bit of questions about Devin Booker as we sort of got to with the Lakers at the absolute highest of levels. And the way that I put it is, there's a reason that, Usually in the NBA, the top tier of talent is even a a pretty wide distance from the second tier of talent. There's only so many players that can, every possession, every night through the regular season and the playoffs, be a great offense unto themselves. And there's nothing wrong with saying that Devin Booker is not that. There's also nothing wrong with saying that there's a reason typically, even on teams that don't use a traditional point guard, we knew this team was not going to be one of those teams, that the more playmaking on the court, the better. Nikola Jokic is basically the Nuggets point guard, and he's obviously one of the guys that can be an offense unto himself. But the Nuggets have five guys who can at least have the ball, right? And maybe you say two or three at the highest levels. That's more than the Suns have had a lot of the time, especially when they have to stagger Booker and Durant. So I think that there's solutions to be had for Booker, and I think we'll talk about Beal later. He's the biggest one of those. Um, And I think the other big thing you have to address with this team is, is Frank Vogel. And we all know if we spend any time on the internet around any NBA team that fire the coach is just the <laughs> most lazy reply that you will see all over the minute that a big game is lost by a team that has expectations. And I'm not certainly going to go there. But uh, really, the three things that I wanted to see from Frank Vogel this year have been Especially compared with Monty Williams, right? You kind of have to judge the new coach by what he's supposed to do differently than the old coach. I think adaptivity, Monty was a very stubborn coach. Kind of seeing a little bit of that in Detroit at times with the Jaden Ivy, Killian Hayes situation. Um, Monty Williams would rather lose with his guys than win by taking a risk. And I wanted to see Frank Vogel be a little bit more experimental. And I think you would have to say that he has. We can get into examples of that. I think. The other two things that I wanted to see have knock on as well, and I think that's where I'm the most concerned about this team. The defense is just not where it needs to be. They don't force turnovers. They don't get back and defend well in transition. Things that Vogel teams have done at a high level when the personnel has suited him, they're not doing that right now. Maybe it's personnel, maybe not. I think they should still be better than 17th. And then owning the paint. Uh, offensively, maybe you could say that they're a step ahead of where they've been. Personnel certainly helps there. Kevin Durant going to get to the free throw line, going to drive to the basket more than like a Chris Paul would have, right? And I think Beal can help there too. But defensively, they allow the ninth most shots at the rim, 13th best efficiency at the rim for their opponents, and the ninth most offensive rebounds. Those are just areas that you're not going to be a championship caliber team if you consistently are losing. And not to mention the possession game stuff that we talked about in that Lakers matchup that swings against them way, way too often and allows them to lose games that they should have won To Kevin Durant's point so I think it's kind of personnel star players coach and there's reason to be optimistic on all those fronts but the reality is 12 and 9 it's just not where I think Suns fans would have wanted this team to be after 20 games
1: yeah I think that's really well put Brandon and like specifically the so much focus from the public like the 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 the, we jokingly refer to them as the casuals right the people that are not closely watching the Suns every single game which by the way like even guys like me who covered the entire league and you cover the entire league and uh with one of your shows that you do so I know you know this feeling like it's impossible ever for anybody to know a team as well as someone who covers a specific team every single day And, and there's all this focus on like oh their fourth quarter issues and their offense and it's like that to me is so easy to answer it's like Kevin Durant has to do everything Right now, because Devin Booker has been largely unavailable and Bradley Beal has been completely unavailable. And so as a result of that, like what ends up happening is when he's creating everything, you get to the end of these games and you get exhausted. I, I used to see this with the lebron teams that were personnel limited over the years like the 2018 yeah. cavs right like it just you 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 can do everything for three quarters but you get to the fourth quarter and the team that has more you know depth of shot creation those guys are just feeling fresher and i think like honestly when you bring bradley beal back into the equation it helps you on two fronts one all that aggressive defense the blitzing the 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 double teaming Uh, the zoning up, which a lot of teams have done against the Suns on the cleared side, ISOs and post-ups for Kevin Durant. Like when they do that kind of thing, aggregate ball handling and shooting is how you beat it. It's making that first pass and then expanding the advantage, expanding the advantage, and then getting the easy shot, which having Devin Booker and Bradley Beal on the floor helps. The second part of that is, It is, it allows you to have at least two of those guys on the floor at any given moment, which inherently lightens the workload so that when you get to these fourth quarters, the guys aren't tired. And so I'm just like completely unworried about them on the offensive end in those specific situations. That said, when it comes to the lineup construction thing, like you mentioned, to me, in that like 15, maybe like 12 to 15 range is like the peak. Uh, of the ceiling of what this team can achieve from a personnel standpoint. And the reason why I look at that is like when I when I when I piece together what I believe to be an elite defense, you've got to have real rim protection, which the Suns do not. You need to have a big, strong forward, someone that's in that 6'9", to 6'10 range, that's a good athlete that can uh, help you and help defense situations, basically a low man, right? Which Kevin Durant, in theory, is that guy. And I think that in order for this team to win a championship, he's going to have to be that guy. But that's a lot to ask with everything that he's got on his plate offensively, which is another thing that Bradley Beal can help with, right? But other than Kevin Durant, they really don't have that archetype. They don't have another guy on the roster that fits that mold. Who's your big wing defender? Like a guy at the three, like somebody in that Jaden McDaniels archetype, right? Like they don't really have that guy on the roster. They ha- What they do have is a lot of like these shorter fire hydrant type of wing defenders, guys like Josh Koji, guys like Jordan Goodwin, guys like Eric Gordon. And then when you get to the point of attack, it's guys that compete like Devin Booker competes, Bradley Beal can compete, but they're not exactly like top tier personnel and uh, personnel in that sense. So I don't really view this team as a team that can get up to that level defensively. Honestly, I've been impressed with Frank Vogel for the most part with just how much he's had them competing and they almost have to get more gimmicky. And I saw this in the second half of that Laker game on Tuesday where they got gimmicky in the way they were ignoring non-shooters finally. And in the first half, they were kind of playing guys straight up. In that second half, they were really packing the paint, daring the Lakers to shoot, and that had some success. And that to me is kind of the direction I see the team going defensively where I just see them being gimmicky, gimmicky, overplaying the paint, almost needing to concede threes on the weak side as a way to kind of compensate for that. I actually think that they can get to that point defensively right around 15th. The main concern for me is the rebounding because they're 26th in defensive rebounding. Like I mentioned earlier, the Lakers grabbed almost half of their own misses in 15 clutch minutes against the Suns this year. Is there any version of this team that can compete better on the glass than they have? I mean, I, I think a lot of what you're talking about goes back to something that
2: I have felt about this team and. They have fluctuated in how much they seem to believe it about themselves. I guess I'm talking about the coaching staff there, which is <laughs> just put as much size on the court as you possibly can. You know what I mean? And I I can look at the numbers and I gave it to you. There are plus 24 net rating when that very small starting lineup is out there. I, I get the value of that, but maybe when it's the staggered lineups with only one star, maybe... You know, as we see them, I think inevitably have to try out more of Kevin Durant at center against certain matchups. You know, Drew Eubanks was really not good in that Lakers game. Put as much size as you can around that, and maybe it means that neither of Gordon and Allen are on the court in some instances. If you can can play it that way, um, and that can start to help your help defense. That can start to help you take away the paint on drives and, uh, you know, isolations and post-ups and, and all those types of things and hopefully help you with rebounding. I mean, I think Nasir Little is somebody on this team who you you can visibly see him make an impact on the glass. I think Josh Kogi, I know he gets a lot of attention for his offensive rebounding. I think he's somebody who, because they've empowered him to kind of handle the ball at times too, or at least not be afraid to just walk it up the court and, and give it up there, he's going to pursue some defensive rebounds. So, you know, I, I think that that's all part of what a solution can look like i mean if we're talking about defensive rebounding to me i'm always just going to kind of look at are the players big enough is their effort you know is their size but it's it's a weird problem to have for a team that has you know a six foot ten guy at center who i thought <laughs> last season when he got here or at at power forward who i thought last year actually did make a pretty big impact on the glass even in that nugget series um And, and still have some of these issues, especially against the Lakers team that most nights isn't even that great on the offensive glass. So, you know, (laughs) your, your guess, I guess is, is sort of as good as mine with a lot of that, but I think playing bigger lineups as often as possible is going to be part of the answer. I I guess just sort of the, the paradox of that is you're getting a six foot three all-star back in, in a week. What do you do then? Bradley Beal is not going to help with any of those problems.
1: What he does help with, though, again, is taking off. Because, like, to me, every t- every time I look at these issues, I just look at Kevin Durant as the solution to everything, because he is the one guy who has the physical tools to be the dominant help defender, the excellent defensive rebounder, the guy that can clean up a lot of these specific situations. And the only way you can free up resources for him to do that is if Devin Booker and Bradley Beal can take over uh, a larger portion of the offensive load, especially with how well Kevin Durant's been shooting the ball from three this year. My God, like he is (laughs) like every time he goes up for that shot, I feel like it's going in. And so honestly, like, I I like the point you made about the center position because I think this team does need a KD at center. Look, and I think what unlocks it is just, and, and Nasir Little is an example of a player that you can put a, a, a high motor athlete at the four, but I don't know if it's gonna have to be a guy that they look at, at the buy in the buyout market or somebody in the in the trade market. But ideally, I would I would view a version of this team where you have Bradley Beale, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, probably someone like Eric Gordon, because he's a good switch defender, and then another big athlete at the four, and then you basically have a switch lineup. And then in that yeah. group, essentially the idea is is you have so much offensive skill on the floor. You can make them pay on the other end. I mean, we just saw this last night with the Clippers and the Nuggets. And twice now since the James Harden trade, they've gave the Nuggets some issues despite a gigantic gap in size just because of what they can do on the other end, like on, on defense containing on the perimeter, but on the other end, spreading them out and attacking with their dribble drive attack. And so I, I like I guess that that's a good lead lead into this. In sports, the scoreboard doesn't tell the full story, but Netflix does. Stories about dads who happen to be world-class quarterbacks, untold tales of athletes you thought you knew, The heart racing pressure for the heart, soul, and survival of the multi-billion dollar business of F1. Stories about college kids who were given a last chance at redemption. David Beckham's meteoric rise to not only becoming a global soccer phenomenon, but also becoming one of the biggest celebrity couples in pop culture. From upsets to injuries, from comebacks to victories, we get to see it all with Netflix Sports. These are the stories that turn us all into fans and give everyone something to cheer for, to feel for, to hold your breath for, and to get up out of your seat for. Whether you're a diehard fan or you're brand new, with shows like F1, Drive to Survive, Quarterback, Full Swing, Untold, Beckham, and so many more, Netflix has the stories for every type of fan. Netflix turns us all into fans. Do you think that the Suns will make a midseason trade of any kind? Obviously, people know how little they have to give up. You know, that yes. that's
2: that's baked in here. However, a few things tell me that they absolutely will try to make a trade. One being they did these weird NFL style deals in the offseason to get themselves some ammunition, some seconds, which is, you know, we'll see how far that can get you. Last off, last deadline that got you like Jay Crowder. Rui Hachimura. Okay, you know, maybe you feel better about, you know, hitting a gold mine there, but they wouldn't have done that if they didn't think that they could get something. Um The other part of this is Matt Ishpia hasn't gone... Like I feel like right now we're in the middle of how long... The longest stretch Matt HP has gone without doing something dramatic. You haven't seen his name in a headline right now in longer than any time since he bought the team. And it's only been 10 months since he bought the team. So <laughs> if there's any hole to be filled, if there is any deal to be had, I think that he will make it. Um It's just... Part of their problem with trades right now, one obviously being, you know, the the stars are untouchable. Those are a portion of their big salary players. Most everybody else is on minimums. The only three guys who aren't on minimums are the three players who just came back in the DeAndre Ayton trade, Little, Allen, and Nurkic, who are all playing a pretty significant role. And if you're getting rid of them, you're probably creating another question mark for yourself too. So it's going to be stacking minimums and second round picks and hoping you can, land a seventh or eighth ninth man like maybe i could see how that could happen but is that guy going to win you a
1: championship I- i'm not too sure is it the big forward that you think they'd be targeting in that specific type of trade
2: yeah a big forward i think you know maybe as a buyout player they pursue a- another center you know they have Adoka asabuki as a Buki on a two-way i don't think he's somebody who's gonna he hasn't even played even when they've kind of needed that so it's not going to be him i know you know NBA fans want it to be bull-bull. It's not going to be bull-bull. So yeah, probably some more size
1: at whatever spot they can get it. Who is the clubhouse leader for the fifth starter slash closer? Because if, if we accept that their core five for a traditional center lineup is going to be, or core four, I should say, is Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Yusuf Nurkic. Who's going to be the, the fifth guy, you think, when everyone's healthy?
2: As much as uh, Grayson Allen has made a case for himself. You talk about how well Kevin Durant shooting from three, Grayson Allen has also lit it up. Uh, he's also one of the more confident guys. So when we talk about the extra help that teams are sending at the star players, Allen has been, you saw it in that third quarter run against the Lakers. He's been the guy who's like kind of, I got this, but I just don't think he's big enough. I think his defense may have been helped a little bit by playing next to Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez. Maybe that, that (laughs) reputation preceded him a little bit. Um, so I don't think it'll be him. My answer is plan A is probably going to be Eric Gordon. And you saw it against the Lakers. They can at least get away with Gordon starting games against somebody like LeBron James. You know, is that going to be, you know, two of 12 shooting night because Eric Gordon just locks him up? No, but he's big enough. You mentioned his switch ability, and he executes. He's a veteran. He's trustworthy, all that stuff. I think that that's going to be the guy that they start out. Um, Keeping that it's going to just be a more traditional lineup, I think the other answer would just be whichever of Little and Keita Bates-Diop makes threes better. You know, which one of them in a series, in a game, is number one, confident taking open shots, which so far it's been Little who actually will take those. Bates-Diop is very hesitant, tries to drive, ends up turning the ball over, throwing up a floater, and, and it has not been pretty. And obviously which one makes... The most of those three. So um, I guess right now it would be Gordon one, little two, Bates Diop three. But I actually don't feel any closer to answering that question than I did at the beginning of the season. If you had asked me on like October 15th, I would have said that exact same thing. So I don't think that's a great sign.
1: Well, again, it's so hard to really make that call until you see what Bradley Beal can help you with. Because we talked earlier about Kevin Durant and all of the things that he can do as a Swiss Army knife to help when the team is healthy. Bradley Beal's like one of the best athletes at the two guard position that we have in the league. Like we've talked all offseason about how he could kind of apply some more rim pressure for a team that needs rim pressure offensively. He's a, he's one of those guys too, where he's never in recent years, he hasn't devoted resources in this manner, but he can be a deeply impactful point of attack defender. He's that he's got that type of athletic tool. Uh, like he's got those tools. So I, I do think uh, like until you see the team in this version, it's, it's hard to make that call. However, here's the data. We have 145 minutes of KD, Devin Booker, Yusuf Nurkic and Grayson Allen in the plus 14 net. It's solid. Akoji another guy that's been thrown into this list. 68 minutes of Durant, Booker, Nurkic, and Akoji. Minus 0.3 net. Started the season hot uh, shooting and is immediately tanked from there. Uh, I, I have enjoyed Josh Akoji just in general, just as a wrecking ball athlete, though, cr- crashing the offensive glass. He, he's an incredible of offensive.
2: Uh, he's a regular season player, right? He's a regular yeah. season player. And I think. It's like the things that gets lost with the Kogi, because I'm sure a lot of fans who tune into the Suns are gonna sit there and be like, This dude makes plays constantly. He's a great defender. Why would it not be him? He creates turnovers, he does a lot of the things that they need, rebounding, everything else. It's not just that the shot isn't there and he's also a guy who's hesitant to shoot. He's not a great finisher. And he doesn't have great feel when he gets the ball in his hand. So it's like if you force him to shoot and he doesn't shoot, will the backup plan for an offensive player beyond that, attack a closeout, keep the ball moving, try to get to the basket, none of that really is in his game either. So I think that's what you're starting to find out the longer that he plays with this team. And we saw it last year in the playoffs. He started the ro- the postseason out of the rotation, even against the Clippers. So I, I-, I don't think it'll be him.
1: That's a great point because like so many so many times when we get into these situations like you see it a lot in trade market like around trade season that some team will be like oh we should go after this guy he's 39% from 3 and it's like literally that's such a a basic uh part of playing off the ball that there's so much more that goes into it um Specifically, that ability to not be a ball stopper, to make quick decisions, to be able to read a closeout and to rip the right direction, and then to make another quick read as the defense reacts to you. Like there are off-ball slashers that generate rim pressure. That's an important piece of it, right? Like that's a thing that I expect Beal to do a lot in off-ball situations too, just like slashing off the catch, you know. And to that point, like if if a Koji slashes off the catch and he can't make a layup or make a read. Then it doesn't really matter, uh, like uh, like how good of an opportunity you set them up with, and so I think that's reflected by the way in the net rating as they've been outscored in those minutes. The third line up there, 116 minutes of Durant, Booker, Nurkic, and Eric Gordon, plus 16 net rating. That to me, I lean towards Eric Gordon too, and the main reason why is he just pl- he he is your best combination of like physical attributes that can impact winning in the margins of the game while also being a plus offensive player. I actually prefer Grayson Allen as an offensive player. I think he's a better read and react guy than Eric Gordon. I think Eric Gordon can get a little tunnel vision. Sometimes he can co-op some possessions. He could take some shots where you're like, my goodness, you know what I mean? But But at the same time, like just in terms of defending at the point of attack, defending bigger wings, switchability, Eric Gordon, to me, just kind of fits that mold better. I think he makes the most sense. That said, like, if you were to go into a series against, um, like, I mean, we could talk about the the Lakers as an example because of LeBron, but against any team that has a big scoring wing, they don't really have a, a, a good defender to throw at a wing score in terms of like a good combination of size and athleticism and mobility. And so that's that to me is like, the spot that you would in theory look to upgrade. Right. At some point before the deadline. Yeah. I mean,
2: what's funny, and you know, I we had to say his name at some point is one of the things I was excited about at in the iteration of the team we thought we were getting here in Phoenix until like two weeks before the season is talk about stubbornness with Monty Williams and adaptability that you hope Frank Vogel would have. Kinda was hoping we would see DeAndre Ayton get chances on some of those guys. <laughs> not not necessarily LeBron, but you know to bring up another enemy of the Phoenix Suns from even longer ago, Giannis Antetokounmpo and players like that, who, Yana, uh, who DeAndre Ayton got chances on, but but not as far as being a whole part of the game plan, but it's not going to happen. He plays for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, so yeah, they don't have an answer there. Nasir Little is not quite as strong and big as you would necessarily think when you look at him, because he's pretty short for a four and just doesn't have this the heft of you know a LeBron James a Giannis type of guy but you know every team has weaknesses I think that they can kind of scheme around that and outscore their way to it but yeah to your point about the offense on Gordon and Allen Allen is a perfect Durant Booker teammate right like the way that they want to play up and down like those Utah Jazz games the doubleheader that they played where the games were just in the 120s 130s one of them was an in-season tournament game was a perfect encapsulation of how Booker and Durant want to flow when they're at their best Durant got to that with Kyrie a lot of, of times. You've seen it over and over. Allen fits beautifully into that on offense because he's more of a threat all over the court. He's a little bit better of a passer. Gordon is more of a one-read passer. He can throw an entry pass. He can drive and kick, but he's not a dynamic playmaker for teammates reading the defense and manipulating and all that stuff. Um, but to your point, I think defensively, he probably just fits the best of what they have right now.
1: Yeah, that's where I look like you had mentioned stacking veteran minimums. Um uh, there are veteran minimums on this this roster that I think other teams would be interested in. Like, there are so many teams out there desperately looking for shooting, and you don't want Nobby's kind of ended up being a little bit of the odd man out for this group. And, like, he's the example of a guy where, like, there's probably an athlete buried on a roster somewhere that uh, that the, a team would sure. like to convert into more of a shooting threat, right? Like, I I think these kinds of moves can be made on the margins. And, and specifically when you're... When you have the top end talent, it makes the game so easy in a lot of ways. And to me like that is a small achievable role. To be the 3 that slots between Beal and Booker, KD and Nurkic. That is an easy role compared to other 3s around the league. There are way harder versions of that position to play. Like and so from that standpoint like I think I I think I think a lot of times we see around the NBA, uh you'll see a player that is in a role where they're kind of asked to overachieve and they can fail. And so I, I think as long as they're 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 patient with it and they find the right type of guy, that would be something I would look into. But in the event that there's no trade, I, I still I still think Gordon's the move there. Um with everything that we've gone over, I want to ask you one big picture question and then I have one bonus question, and then we'll get out of here for the day. If you had to rank the top four teams in the in the West, how would you rank them as of right now? As playoff contenders, not talking about regular season, you know, finish the regular season standings, but just in terms of ranking contenders in the West, where would you put everybody? Top four.
2: I, I still have Denver head, head and shoulders above everybody. I just think their offense is going to create an elite shot, uh, create a shot at an elite level on every possession until proven otherwise. And I, I'm not going to be proven otherwise. So they're first. I, I mean... As much as I said, 20 games is, is a good evaluation point because of the uncertainty we've talked about related to, to Beal and everything. I still have the Suns second. I just think, talk about offense. That's what wins in the NBA right now. You have to be able to, to make enough defensive plays and scheme up and, and play physically. I, I like the way you broke down how you build a, a good defense. I feel pretty similarly. We'll see how that happens. But the Suns offense is the unit I feel best about beyond behind the Denver offense. So I, I still have them second. It's, it gets kind of tricky from there um I will defer to the Lakers probably at, at one of those two spots I maybe this isn't so much of a one to four ranking but just a group of four here um because they have another clear identity right like and I think you know guys like reddish and Prince and the additions that they've made they just built off of what made them so scary last year you even saw the the impact and I think darvin Ham's learning how to use Jared Vanderbilt in spurts to really be effective, he he affected that game on Tuesday in 15 minutes more than I you know most guys can. Um, that's just a, a difficult team to play. They have trades to make, so I'll put them in there. Um, I'll throw the I'll throw the Thunder in there. I I think the Giddy question, not the off court stuff, but how he's been playing on court is a, is a question. I do think they need another big. Um, I think the reliance on not just the young guys in the starting lineup, but Guys like Kassan Wallace and, and others, you know, I, I they'll get tested. I, I don't expect them to just fly through, but I think, you know, I like identity. They have one. Shea is a, a killer in close games, and they've improved around the basket thanks to Chet. So I'll throw them in as the fourth team. I think that they're legit, and I feel better about them than Minnesota and, and some other teams just from that identity and structure standpoint.
1: Yeah, that to me is the five. Right, like it's those four teams you just mentioned in Minnesota. I think I would flip Lakers and Suns. i put Lakers two, Suns three. I give the slight edge to Minnesota over Oklahoma City because they're kind of built for the physical playoff environment in a way that Oklahoma City is not. They've really, yeah. really, really struggled against big teams. And like all the, other four, the three of the other five teams in that top five are all big teams that they're going to have to go through. And so just from the standpoint of like, physically being able to withstand three rounds of Western Conference basketball I just don't know if Oklahoma Oklahoma City's up for that I also would I would love to see them bring in a guy with some more playoff experience because that's the other thing too is just everybody in that situation is super young and like Minnesota at least has some reps like even Anthony Edwards has had two pretty damn good playoff series so we're we're I do the way you put it is like a kind of the bunched up four that I agree with too like to me it's like Denver Gap not that big of a gap, but a clearly discernible gap. And then I put like Phoenix Lakers, Minnesota kind of all jumbled up. And then Oklahoma city just kind of clearly kind of clinging on right there at the bottom. And again, there's trades to be made. I think, I think, The Lakers are a team you got to watch out for with trades. The Warriors are a team you got to watch because all they have to do is attach Kaminga to Chris Paul and they're going to get back a good player. And then now you're talking about, you know, Steph Clay Wiggins, a good player and Draymond Green, which is going to be interesting to deal with. So I think it's for where we are in the season, everything is still up in the air. But like I'm with you. Like I haven't seen enough to really significantly change any of my preseason recommendations. And specifically when it comes to the Suns. It's just like I have like a big wait and see approach with the Suns cuz just everything everything fundamenta- fundamentally changes for the geometry of that offense when Bradley Beal comes back which just makes everything easier on everybody else. Before we get out of here, you and I meeting was a funny story. Um I had gotten screwed over by Ticketmaster a long story won't get into it, but I had a couple extra tickets to the Deadening Company concert in Phoenix and you reached out and and took them, and we got to meet in person at the form. I don't know what it's called now, but it was formerly the Auction Pavilion up there in Phoenix. It was an incredible concert. I have to ask you because we didn't get a chance to talk about it at the show. How did you? Are you a Dead and Company fan? Did you get into them through some weird reason? Like what? What's your relationship with Dead and
2: Company? I wish I had a better story, but for me, it was an awesome experience. I just wanted to see them because I bought the hype that this would be the last tour in the real incarnation, and. So not real, obviously, this incarnation, I, I grew up like a big music kid, like I played instruments, like I played trumpet, I played drum stuff in in high school and all that stuff. So I've always been like a big John Mayer fan and not a huge fan of like his solo music, but always just kind of heard the legendary stories of the guitar and everything else. So I was like, I want to see him. I want to see them before they're done in whatever version they're gonna be done I know they'll probably be back and, and do it all over again but let me go let me go do the real experience be outside drive an hour like see it all and uh, it lived up to the to the hype the whole experience from top to bottom was everything I expected it to be you're uh you're coming in clutch while I was at uh, waiting in line at Chipotle and saw your tweet about the extra tickets <laughs> definitely helped because the seats were amazing we were right up close could see mayor and and everybody uh, uh, doing their thing see all the dancing happening and all the, uh, the joyous times in the crowd. So yeah, man, I, I loved it. I, w- I would definitely go again um, whenever they finally, you know, probably bring it back. But uh, yeah, yeah. I- it was my first time. It was a great time. It made me wish that I had, had gotten on board before and, I have all only good things to say, but no, I'm, my family doesn't care. They were all like, what are you, why are you going? We don't even like them. What's up? Like what, <laughs> what's going on here? And I was like, I just, we want to try it out. Like, don't judge me here. And uh, yeah, they converted me. I'm a believer. I'm a fan.
1: Dude, the, the concerts are so weird because like I, I was, I got into it for similar reasons. just like, I, I, I'm a big fan of guitar. John Mayer in particular, I think is one of the better guitarists to have ever played And, like, you go to appreciate that, right? And he's also a way better singer than people give him credit for. So you have, like, him singing and and playing, and it's part of the vibe. But there's all this other weird stuff that comes with it. Like, obviously, the crowd is is a whole unique experience. Like, the music has these weird, bizarre tone shifts. Like, at the concert, Brandon and I went to... They had this like uh, they played Dear Mr. Fantasy and they and they flew into uh, kind of flowed into Hey Jude and it was like this huge crescendo and then it literally just like the lights go purple it goes dark and then they flip into Dark Star which is like this really weird like funky kind of space beat and then everyone just kind of like and, and but at the same time like for the the Dead and Company fans or the Grateful Dead fans like that's part of the experience for them as they're riding these weird like roller coasters of vibe shifts throughout the shows it's really weird and then like you'll like you'll like. Oh I got a pee so you go over to the the porta potty and there's just like people just spinning And like they're not even like spinning to the song; they're like in an entirely different universe. On God knows whatever they've been taking, it is it is definitely a weird vibe. I've been to I want to say four Dead and Company shows over the course of these tours, and like yeah, like as I got closer to the end, I started to kind of understand and appreciate it more. But I remember the first time I went to a show in Phoenix, I was like, "Whoa, this
2: is no, it's
1: uh, it's everything
2: you've been told it's going to be." No, there was like a twenty-minute steel drum solo at one point. You're just kind of like is this over yet? You know, what's up here? Like, is this still part of the song or is this guy just forgetting he's on stage? Like what's going on, but it's all great. I love it. Uh, definitely
1: a, a story, definitely memorable, but yeah, I'll be back. Brendan, this was absolutely awesome, man. I really appreciate you making the time. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah.
2: Locked on Suns daily covering this team, you know, big games, weird moments, feels return. You can check it out. Also host the just basketball show, part of the just sports network. And we're uh, churning out a couple episodes a week, looking at everything across the whole league. We're on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, everywhere you find content, we're there. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing, doing the same thing as you, man, but I appreciate the opportunity and it was fun to talk sons
1: with you. Yes, we will do it again at some point in the future. All right, everybody, just so you guys know, on the Hoops Tonight front, we will be back for two separate instant reaction videos. Weird start times today, 2 p.m. Pacific time for the... First game, so we'll have an instant reaction right after that. And then for Lakers, Pelicans later tonight. Real quick, what's your pick for both games?
2: I think I went Pelicans and Bucks. On our show, I, I really just picked the Pelicans because I want to see it. I, I think the Lakers <laughs> will win. But, you know, I'm, I'm honestly all, all for a Giannis LeBron final, too. So I, I love how this tournament broke out. I think the, the combination of upstarts and, 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 and mainstays has been really cool. So I'm, I'm honestly good with either combination, but we'll see what happens
1: pelicans are good i would give them a chance um i'm i'm rooting for lakers pacers just because i like i think Tyrese halliburton is like one of the most entertaining basketball players i've ever watched but yeah i'm leaning towards laker bucks for now all right guys that's all we have we will see you guys in a few hours
0: slash iHeart.